This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. Um, okay. Um, this is coming to us from France, this paper. You're oh, your, uh, neck of the woods. So um, postnatal growth restriction and neurodevelopment at five years of age, a European extremely preterm birth cohort study. Um, I told you it's coming to France. It was um, uh, published in the Archives of Disease. Uh, lead author, uh, Rim El Rafay. Um, yeah. I have, you know what? I'm actually sadly, okay. This is like a behind the scenes. I'm looking for the paper on our shared drive. Um, <laughs> it's in my folder. Is it in your folder? Yeah. I only see the azithromycin in your folder. Okay, that's, that's so funny cool. because I don't see anything in your folder. No, I didn't put anything in my folder today. That's so annoying. You see, that's my fault. <laughs> All right. I'm going to, I'm going to find that paper. Give me one second, man. All right. MacBook. It's in your folder. Oh yeah, I see it. Okay, um, hold on. Is it is it the Rafay paper? Mm-hmm. Okay, Rim El Rafay. It doesn't sound like it sounds like a Middle Eastern name. So I don't want to. I may even if I pronounce it the French way, I'm afraid I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm still gonna butcher it. Uh, yeah, we have uh, we have a very diverse population in France, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised. But Rim El Rafay is is how we would pronounce it in French. Okay. Um, for the ships research group, and I'll tell you about that. So what's the question? They wanted to um, investigate whether extrauterine growth restriction uh, during the neonatal hospitalization among extremely preterm infants is associated with neurodevelopmental outcomes like cerebral palsy and co- cognitive and motor abilities at five years of age. So the study designed, this is a cohort of extremely preterm infants. Um, and uh, Basically, this is data from the, I'm, I'm not actually sure how you say it, but the, the EPICE cohort of births less than 32 weeks of gestational age from 19 regions in 11 European countries with follow-up uh, in the screening to improve health in very preterm infants in Europe. That's the SHIPS study. So perinatal and neonatal characteristics until hospital discharge were abstracted from medical records, follow-up data on the children's health and development, healthcare Sociodemographic circumstances are collected using parental questions at two and five years. And when possible, standardized clinical assessments were performed at five years of age on the extremely preterm uh, infants in the group. So I don't know if they intended to do that, but the effective perinatal intensive care in Europe is pronounced in French épice, which uh-huh. stands for spice. So it's like spices. Oh, so it's kind that's of that's cool. So if on the French podcast we will rate this acronym pretty highly, I think. It doesn't <laughs> translate very well on the English one, but I'm sure Gabriel and Flora are gonna are gonna <laughs> like that one. That's awesome. Um, okay, so basically they took this, uh, this was like a secondary analysis of this cohort of extremely preterm infants. They identified which infants had postnatal extrauterine growth restriction, um, and they did this in two ways. They first calculated the change in weight Z-scores between birth and discharge, according to the Fenton growth chart, the Fenton Delta Z-score, and classifying um, uh, its EUGR, extrauterine growth restriction, as severe and moderate when the Delta Z-scores were less than uh, minus two standard deviations. Uh, for severe and moderate between minus one and minus two standard deviations. They used a second measure, Patel's weight gain velocity, which computes average gain in grams per kilogram per day from birth and discharge weight using uh, an exponential models. 
So then they have cutoffs for severe and moderate, um, whether they're below the first quartile in the sample or between the first and the median, respectively. And then this group of children were evaluated at five years of age for neurodevelopmental outcomes. The exclusion criteria were, um, so interestingly, I thought this is of note. They excluded children with severe neurosensory impairments, IQ less than or equal to 54, or severe hearing and visual impairments, which is 27 infants, because the clinical assessments are really not designed for these children, right, to be able to participate in them. But we did lose this, co- you know, this little group of um, severely um, impaired children. So the study had three primary outcomes, cerebral palsy, cognitive and motor function, uh, sorry, cerebral palsy is one, and then cognitive function and motor function among children without cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy was determined by a clinical diagnosis reported by parents, except in France, where it was ascertained during a medical visit. So a lot of um, survey data. Cognitive and motor functions evaluated by trained psychologists or physiotherapists at five years of age um, in local routine follow-up programs when available. When not available, again, using a lot of parent data. Cognitive abilities were measured using um, the WIPSI or the Weschler Preschool and Primary Skills of Intelligence, um, and they uh, evaluated motor function using the MBAC, the movement, the MABC, Movement Accessory Battery for Children. Um, baseline characteristics. So mean gestational age for the group was 25.9 weeks, and the mean birth weight was 873 grams. Um, 13.5% of uh, children were SGA, less than third percentile. Um, 34% had BPD. 24.6% had severe non-respiratory neonatal morbidity. On average, the needle hospitalizations lasted 91 days with children discharged at uh, on an average of 39.4 weeks of postmenstrual age, weighing an average of 2,692 grams. So the results. Using the Fenton's Delta Z-score, 40.1% of children were classified with moderate extrauterine growth restriction and 33.9% with severe extrauterine growth restriction. That's a lot of growth restriction. (laughs) Patel's measure was distributed according uh, to the median and to the quartile values. Um, And the risk factors for severe extrauterine growth restriction as defined by both measures included severe neonatal morbidity, BPD, um, and later discharge. Overall, 9.1% of children had a diagnosis of cerebral palsy, and cerebral palsy risks were related to severe extrauterine growth restriction among boys in unadjusted models using Patel's weight gain velocity with this significant interaction by sex. But the confidence intervals for adjusted risk ratios included one. So something to note, p-value 0.17. Similar patterns were observed for Fenton's delta z-score. So that is in children with uh, cerebral palsy. Among children without cerebral palsy, those with severe extrauterine growth restriction had the lowest IQ scores. After adjustment, severe extrauterine growth restriction was associated with an IQ reduction of 3.9 points and um, five points, depending on whether you use the Fenton Delta score, 3.9 points, or the Patel's weight gain velocity five points, respectively, with no interaction by sex. The risk of an IQ less than 70 were uh, much higher among children with severe extrauterine growth restriction, a risk ratio of 1.7. 
Um, and um, if you used Patel's uh, weight gain velocity, this adjusted risk ratio is even higher, 2.8. For movement difficulties, there was no associations with extra uterine growth restriction and no interaction with sex. The reason they were looking at sex specifically is because this study had been done previously and they did find interaction um, between uh, sexes. So study takeaways are really among very preterm infants at five years of age, severe postnatal extrauterine growth restriction was associated with lower IQ, but not with movement difficulties or cerebral palsy. The association with cognition was similar for boys and girls, contrasting with previous reports at two years, finding an association only for boys. Um, and then the they quote, better nutrition to reduce extrauterine growth restriction may be a lever for improving long-term cognition among children born extremely preterm. So I don't think this is uh, earth-shattering information. Like we know that nutrition is linked to cognitive outcomes, Um, but it's a good reminder. And I thought especially interesting that of the group only 13% were small for gestational age. So it's not that they had this like small growth potential or they were coming, you know, from behind. This was something that happened in the neonatal unit that they had growth <laughs> failure. Yeah. I mean, it, it keeps adding to the, to the, to the pressure that right. we have of optimizing like, nutrition, optimizing nutrition, because I think you're, I mean, for people who think that our job is stressful, Think about it. Like you have a kid who you're doing the growth curve and you're seeing that there's growth restriction. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, like if I don't, if I don't correct this, this kid at five years will have impaired. It's like, oh, the stress. Yeah. The stre- and I think our ability to prognosticate neurodevelopmental outcomes is so complicated because mm-hmm. we use like IVH, but it's not just IVH, right? It's IVH and steroid use and nutrition and sepsis. And it's, we don't have a calculator for that. That's right. That's right. Uh, but um, no, I mean, again, it's just where we, we're not going to be able to escape this. It needs Mm-mm. to be well um, addressed. It needs to be, it needs to be well thought through and cannot, right. We cannot say, Oh, I'll catch up on the growth later. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'll fix some other things today. Um, yeah, no. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.